All right, take your Bibles, keep it open to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let me give you the background and then I want to help you today. I really, really do. Uh, if you don't, uh, if you miss this truth, you're going to struggle in life. I mean that. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a teenager, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, a senior middle-aged adult, or a senior citizen, you're going to need this truth today. Jehoshaphat is facing, he's a king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, is facing a battle against the Moabites and the Ammonites. Uh, those aren't mosquito bites, but uh, or chigger bites, amen, Brother Larry? But uh, word comes to Jehoshaphat that the army that they're facing is so large that they don't even know how to count how many soldiers they're fighting. Now, imagine Israel is not a very large country, but Judah is only uh, one-sixth the size of the whole nation. That's pretty bleak odds. Uh, and Jehoshaphat gathers his soldiers in the country together and he says, look, pray. We're either going to win this thing or we're going to be annihilated. There's no in-between and we need God to help us. And Jehoshaphat publicly prays and kind of puts God on the spot. He said, God, we're your people. You promised to, to, to deliver us. And if you wipe us off the face of the earth, we don't know how you're going to keep your own word. Now, that takes boldness to pray that way. Uh, I'm not sure that I, I get quite that rough. but uh, And he begins to almost question God. And he says, God, why would you allow your enemy to be totally destroyed by the enemy? Now, God steps in. Look at verse 15 at the very end there. God answers in the middle of the verse. He said, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now look at me for a second. Too many times we take the little skirmishes we go through in life as a personal attack when it's not our battle, it's God's. Too many times we become the center of the problem in our own mind. God sends Jehaziel, a man of God, to give God's answer to prayer. God tells them to go the next morning to the battlefield and wait. Matter of fact, we read in verse 17 that he said that he would go before them and fight for them. Now, he tells them they're not going to have a need to fight, that he will fight for them. Can I tell you something? It's pretty hard sometimes to back off and not get in a fight on our own timing. Brother James, there's times in my life and ministry I've gotten a little ahead of God. And it doesn't turn out real well. And then I've got to apologize. And then I've blown it and not handled it the right way. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me a time or three. Uh, I've, I've done that before. And I, I help churches and pastors all over our country and recently had a pastor that kind of jumped a little ahead of God and decided he's going to fight for God, and he kind of made a little mistake, but we got it back and got it corrected. We're all guilty of that. Now listen to me very carefully here. He tells them to go and stand still, and that he will fight for them. And he said, be not dismayed, I will go before you. May I say something? Look at me for a second. If you're a child of God, God's never late. He might not work on your time schedule, but God's never late. Uh, God comes always in the nick of time. I was dealing with a, a young widow a few months ago. And I told that young widow, I said, look. I can't tell you how God's going to help you, but I can tell you this, he will. 
I can't tell you how God's going to do this. I can just tell you he will. A couple weeks later, I got a phone call. She's weeping. She said, you ain't going to believe this. I said, yes, I will. She told me. I said, that's God. She said, I know. A couple days later, she called. She said, you're not going to believe this. I said, God at work. She said, oh, boy, is he at work. Two months later, she called me and said, you ain't going to believe this. I said, God working again. She said, overtime. I said, I told, she said, your words have rung deep in my mind every time. You can't tell how God's going to do it. You just know he will. And I can't always sit there and tell you how it's going to happen. But I can tell you this, it's going to happen. You say, why? Because he's God. And don't get mad at me. There's a song out that some people sing, and that's not a bad song. I understand what they mean by it, but I don't like it. It says that when when Lazarus died, even though Jesus was three days late, he's still on time. Well, Jesus ain't never been late. It might not be on time by our schedule, but he's on time by God's schedule. And when my schedule gets in the way of God's, God's takes priority over mine. I've just learned he's going to take care of it. Now, it's a little hard to stand still and watch God do it, though. When you're facing an enemy without number and God wants you to go and you know you're about to get your gizzard slit, it's a little hard to walk up that mountain. When you're walking into a bomb, it's a little hard to walk into it. Jehoshaphat allows the Levites to lead the people in songs and praise to God. Now listen to me very carefully here. There is no place in scripture ever that says worship is public. Not one. Worship is man telling God how wonderful God is. It's loving on God. You don't do that publicly. I love my wife, but I'm not going to show everybody in church how I love my wife. Everybody doing okay? Say why? Because that's supposed to be done in private. That's what worship is. Worship is an intimate word. Now, praise? Yes, we do that. That's what the value of one and the songs that we've sung today, Rescue the Perishing, uh, as the uh, as Michael's dad and new stepmom got married yesterday, they were coming down the aisle, the pianist started, and I looked at my wife, I said, they're playing the wrong song, they're supposed to play, the fight is on. And, and didn't I say that? <laughs> now wait a minute, I can enjoy that, yes. I enjoyed the tender moments of it, and the laughter, and all the things, but may I say something? Worship is done in private. Worship is, as I drove onto the property this morning and up the driveway, I said, God, you're so good. I remember when this was a wilderness of plastic pots and grass and trees. And I said, God, you're so good. I got out of my truck and realized where I was standing and realized you couldn't have walked from my truck to where this building is before. If you did, you're going to the hospital with poison sumac. It was horrible. And those of you that were here, you were saying, preacher, here? Yeah, here. Can't you see it? No. I remember Brother Wiley saying, preacher, where are you going to put that building? Him and Mung. I had it taped off. They still, I don't see it. Well, you will. God gives the man of God enough vision to see what could be. But may I say something? Sometimes it's hard to stand still and let the battle happen. God says they sing praise back to God. The victory will be won in a miraculous way. And the Bible talks about in verses uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they begin singing and praising and having a good time, kind of like our church. When you all cut loose, it's fun. Brother Anthony, first time he was here, he said, man, them people sang. Then he got up here and started, and y'all went, wow, here we go. We found another gear, amen? 
And I like that. <laughs> Don't mess with whatever he has for breakfast on Sundays. Amen. <laughs> Keep feeding him Wheaties. Extra dose. Uh, the, so they begin singing and praising God for the victory they are about to get. They get up early the next morning and they make their way up to Mount Seir. And when they get to the watchtower to look across to the mountain, they look out. And both the Ammonite and the Moabite army are lying there dead. They had gone up and literally they had killed each other. There wasn't one soldier still alive. They're all laying there, dead as a hammer. They begin to sing even more. And God had placed his heavenly army between God's people and their, their armies and caused them to die. The battle's over. The land is strewn with dead bodies. Remember, it's an army without number. There were hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of soldiers. Now, listen to this right here. God tells Jehoshaphat to go over there and to spoil the soldiers. That doesn't mean how they smelled. It means to take the valuables, the money, and the gold and the jewelry and he said I've caused them to travel in such a way to where they're very wealthy and there's a, a vast wealth awaiting you the Bible says that there was so much money and so many jewels and so many valuables that they couldn't carry it all and it took three days to transport everything. Now everybody look at me for a second. We read that and go, Shazam, that's a lot of stuff. Think about this for a second. It was great success. For Jehoshaphat, for God, and for Judah. But for three days, they're sifting through dead bodies, blood, guts, rotting flesh to get to what they have. If you've never smelled a three-day-old dead body laying in the weather, you know, it's kind of like roadkill. Ladies, when your husband brings that deer home, throws it in a trash can three days before trash in 100-degree weather, yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. Everybody smells it. Imagine digging through that stuff for a while. Don't push too hard, it might blow. Now, the flies, the stench, the smell, the rotting flesh, and combing through dead bodies. Listen to this statement. It wasn't pleasant. But the battle was already won. It was a great victory, but the cleanup wasn't wonderful. Now, I wonder how many Israelites complained. I shouldn't have to do this. Why do we got to do this? Why couldn't God have them die in the wintertime when they didn't stink so bad? Can you hear the excuses that we would give? How come God didn't have them empty their pockets before they died? Well, they probably didn't have a chance to. They didn't even fight a battle, but I imagine they weren't happy about the cleanup. Statements like, I don't think it's fair God made us do this. Well, would you have rather gone into battle with these idiots? Would you have rather it been you laying there, dead, and them going through your pockets? You see, God gave them incredible riches from a battle that was not even theirs to fight. And had they fought the battle, they would have been the dead ones lying there, not the enemy. 
So many battles we fight shouldn't be fought by us. So many things that we get involved in, we should not get involved with. How many times have you ever fussed with somebody and then found out you shouldn't have fussed with them to begin with? How many times have you gotten involved in something and get partway into that thing thinking, I shouldn't have done that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Kind of like yesterday. I was sitting there holding my grandson at the, what do you call that thing afterwards? Reception. I get rehearsal and reception mixed up. Amen. One's before, one's after. I was sitting there at the reception. My daughter was across the room and her and Michael were eating. I was taking the baby so they had a break for a second. And he starts making some funny noises. I thought, what are you doing? He does it again. I thought, that's a strange noise. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates opened. And I could feel it and hear it. His bowels were not like a harp. I went, uh-oh. I looked at my wife. I said, he's going back to his mama. I literally got up, walked across the room. It was about two or three times the size of this room here. And I said, here, your son just loaded himself. And when I handed him back, it was up his back. I had a white shirt on. Do you know he missed every piece of my white shirt? Every bit of it. Praise the Lord. I said, here you go. And she goes, oh, my. Michael goes, Oh, no, Dad. Now what? I said, get him out of here. I said, I can't smell, but everybody else can. <laughs> She's walking through this fancy reception like this. <laughs> I was waiting for it to go drip, drip, drip. <laughs> that diaper said holds 20 pounds, and he was pushing it to the limit. Amen. Oh, it was, you should have heard the stories afterwards. He's, I said, well, just, here's my truck keys, just to put him on the tailgate. He came back, he said, Dad, he said, I couldn't have put him on your tailgate. You'd have had to go through the truck, the, the, the car wash. He said, we just did it outside on the bench out there. He said, man, that was the worst one ever. In six months, that's the worst one. I'm thinking, that's what called being a grandparent is. Here you go. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Uh, a battle that you shouldn't get involved with. Amen? I wonder how many times we put ourselves in situations where we want to take care of something that's not ours to take care of and end up making things rougher. We put ourselves in places when we need to let God do the fighting for us. I wonder how many times if we'd have just zipped up our lip instead of talking about what's in our head... We wouldn't have got into that argument to begin with. You know when you say, you always do that, that's when you're supposed to shut up and not fight. Amen? You know that thing where, well, you're just like your mother. Those things shouldn't be said. I can't stop you from thinking it, but you ought to stop it before it comes out your lips. Because there's going to be a frying pan upside your head. We have Christians with battle fatigue because they're fighting battles that they ought to let God fight. We have Christians all over this area and this, 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 this country of ours in our world. Well, I'm just too tired. I, I've been fighting too long. Well, get back in the battle. Some of you fight battles you don't even need to fight. Well, let me give you six thoughts today. I'll do it very quickly. Number one. Don't complicate the battle by doing it your way. May I please say that again? Do not complicate the battle by doing it your way. Please listen to me for a second. There's a reason the first thing a soldier goes through is something called boot camp. They strip you of everything that you think you know take you down to the bare essentials and build you up into a fighting machine to train you how to think and they retrain your thinking. The purpose of that isn't to break you, it's to build you. You no long, you see, as a civilian, you don't think about when the bullets fly running into it. 
You have to retrain someone to run towards bullet fire, not away from. <laughs> when I was in Bible college, I worked in a uh, machine shop that made fire hose nozzles. Firemen are a different breed. They really are. And I, they, they just, they're, they're a different mindset. And one day I was in the shop, and of course, half the shop were volunteer firemen. The fire alarm went off, and <laughs> there goes the shop. A couple hours later, they came back, and the, the boss, my boss, a billionaire, he was a volunteer fireman, he came back. I said, Stuart, I said, something's different about you firemen. I said, you guys think totally different. I said, I can't put my finger on it. He said, oh, I can explain it. I said, what's that? He said, when you go to a house that's on fire, most people run out, right? I said, well, if they have any sense, he said, we run in. I said, you just put your finger on it. I got it. That takes a different mindset to run towards danger, not away from. It takes a different mindset to run into a problem without thinking about it or slowing down, figuring out whether you should run into it or not. Too many of you are like a fireman, like a Marine. You're just going to hit the beach. Doesn't matter what's coming. There's a reason they call Marines jarheads. Amen? Because their head's shaped like a... No, anyway. Uh, but uh, they're, they're taught, it doesn't matter what's coming at you, just keep going forward. They're not the, the, they're, they're the tip of the spear. They're not the, they're not, I, I mean, they're just going, oh, here we go. Bless God, I got enough sense. Let somebody else do it, not me. Now, hang on. Maybe we ought to learn to follow the advice of somebody that's been down the path before us. Young people, listen to me. I might be old, but I've traveled more of life than you've ever even thought of. Your parents may be old, and they're not mistakeless. They had you. <laughs> and may I say this, we happen to know a little bit more about life than you think we do. Now, not all adults have handled life rightly. I get that. But there are those of us who have experienced enough life to say, I don't think I'd do that. My son-in-law came to me just this last week, and he's got a big decision to make. He's called me twice about it, and then when we were together Thursday night, as soon as he got into the truck at the airport about quarter to one, one o'clock in the morning, we were talking about it again. Talked about it for a good long while. He say, why? He wants to make a right decision. And I, I helped him realize he's not making a decision between right and wrong, but two rights. And he said, Dad, that... That sure takes the pressure off of it. I said, exactly. I said, don't make it harder than it is. You're not choosing between right and wrong. You're choosing between a good and another good. But the second good could be best. You choose. I said, but neither decision is a wrong decision. He said, that sure makes this a whole lot easier. I said, yes, sir, it does. He said, how did you learn all these things? I said, wait till you're 56 and ask that question again. Shut up. Almost as old as Paula. I've spent over 35 years in the battle every day of my life. You visit the battlefield. I live there. It's amazing how they take men to train people in boot camp that have been in battle. Say why? Because they know what it's going to take to survive on the battlefield. And they'll tell you, you don't love me, but one day when you're under fire, you're going to thank God for me. They don't say it quite that way, but I'm putting it in terms I can say. What you face now might be the biggest battle you've ever faced. But I'll promise you there's not a person in this room that has a problem I haven't faced 50 to 100 times, at least if not thousands of times. Not a one. I'm not lifting me up. I'm just saying I've experienced a lot of life helping a lot of people through life. God's given me a lot of life experience. And at the age of 56, I've experienced more life than probably 
Brother Jim, who's 91, almost 92 years old. Not because I'm something, it's just my whole adult life has been given to helping people in life. It's not been about making money, that's obvious. It's not about all the things of this world. It's about helping people in their problems in, in the battlefield of life. Amen. What you face now is not the first time for me. Learn to trust somebody that's been down that road. Learn to trust somebody that's been down that road. I, my, my wife and I were talking the other day. Over the last 35 almost years of the ministry. And all the things that God's allowed us to see and do. By the way, it's been a veil of tears. It has. You take a baby from a mama's arms that's died. And a year and a half later, take the second baby away from her that's died. You sit there and walk into an emergency room to a young couple who had been married about six weeks. The husband was in a car accident and I meet him at the hospital and the doctor comes out and motions for me and he says, you need to go tell her her husband died. I said, why me? He said, you're the preacher. I can't do this. You walk into a hospital of a family you've never met before in your life, but they're from out of town and they wanted a Baptist preacher to come pray for them because their five or six-year-old son was having his fourth heart surgery. Went in, prayed with him, went back to the office and the hospital called and said, we need you down here at the hospital. I got there and I was going up to the floor where they were at and the doctor met me in the hallway with a team of doctors and nurses with tears running down their face and he said, Pastor, he said, I can't tell him, but he said, the, ba the, the, the little boy just died. We couldn't keep him alive. We need you to tell the family. I said, you're going in because they're going to have questions I can't answer. He said, I'll answer questions, but I can't tell them. I've been there. I've sat beside some of you as your loved ones went to heaven. I've been with those of you with the cancers and the other news. I've cried with you when your adult children have disappointed you and hurt you. Been there. God's plans of action don't always make sense because we want the credit, not him. Amen. You know, Gideon's plan to fight 300 against 450,000 didn't make sense. They all had a clay pot, a torch, and a trumpet. They didn't even have an armor-plated camel. Now, 300 against 450,000 really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But that's because we want the credit for the, for the victory, not letting God have it. But when we do it God's way, look what can happen. O thou mighty man of valor, hiding from the Midianites. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego won't bow to the idol made by King Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. I love the statement in the scriptures. Our God will deliver us. <laughs> Those three famous words. <laughs> but if not, they bind them up and uh, they open the furnace and the fire is so hot that the men that are about to throw them in are consumed. They push them in. Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and he says, hey, how many did we put in the fire? And they said, three. He said, I see four, and the fourth is like the Son of God. <laughs> he said, hey, fellas, come on out. 
They walked out, they were loosed, and not a hair of their head was singed. Man, did Nebuchadnezzar and everybody else get a little worried. I want you to notice something about that. It never says that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego saw Jesus in the fire. It says Nebuchadnezzar saw him. Now they knew something was in there because you don't go into fire like that and walk around. I have no idea if they saw him or not, but we know Nebuchadnezzar did. They came out. You see, God didn't keep them from the fire. He was in the fire. Moses with the children of Israel leaving Egypt get to the Red Sea and they say, oh no, now what? And God says, watch this, y'all. And when God says, watch this, y'all, it's going to be a show. Y'all say that and I'm ducking under the pulpit. Wait a minute. God opens the Red Sea. They cross over on dry ground. They get to the other side. They look back and here comes the Egyptian army chasing after them. They said, now what, Moses? You brought us over here to die. Let me translate in the redneck version. Watch this, y'all. Come on, God. Help us now. As they say down south, help us. God said, watch this. Every last one of the Egyptian army was dead. Elijah and the false prophets of Baal. Noah with an ark. I could go on and on and on and on. None of those make any sense. Imagine building a boat. 450 feet long, 75 feet high. I'm sorry, 60 feet high and 75 feet wide. Getting animals and putting on that boat took him 120 years to build that boat. And it was 500 miles from the nearest body of water that could float it. It's not like they were going to take it down the Potomac River. Right now, you could walk across that. Now, wait a minute. I imagine he faced a little opposition, don't you? See, God's plans don't make sense because we think we're God and we can fight it our way. I've learned to just stand still and let God fight. Number one, don't complicate the battle by doing it your way. Number two, you may not be delivered from facing the battle... But God will win if you'll face it. You may not be delivered from facing the battle. But if you'll obey God, you'll win. When you face battle, you get stronger. (laughs) May I say something? I think God's a little tired of this sissy generation of wimpy Christians. Let me say that again. I think God's a little tired of wimpy Christians. Well, somebody offended me. Well, my Bible says in Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Well, preacher, I just don't like how you preach. You're a little rough. Well, you got the point. You throw a rock in a pack of dogs, and one that yelps is the one you hit. Amen. Got a coon in the tree. We're just going to keep it up in the tree. You say, I I don't think you ought to do that. Then my Bible says, lift up your voice like a trumpet, not a a flute. Not a piccolo. He said, like a trumpet. Trumpets are loud. Trumpets hurt your ears every once in a while. They're to be heard from a long distance. They're a sound of warning. And may I say something? We're not to do it our way. We're to do it God's way. You know, God never promised to keep you from problems. You won't find one verse in that Bible right there where God said, I'll, ha- I'll take all your problems away before they ever come. You'll never find it. Well, just trust Jesus and all your problems go away. Let me ask you a question. How'd that work out for the Son of God himself? They killed him. God never promised you to have a life of no problems. You say, why? Because we're all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And you know, looking at Brother Anthony, he's a sinner. Not as bad as Brother Scott, but we're getting there. 
Yeah, getting there. <laughs> you mean crooked him out. <laughs> you see, I get a little tired of these uh, famous people on television. You know, just touch the back of the TV and feel the power. Yeah, you're going to feel it all right. Just send me your money first. Can I tell you something? God is the all-powerful God who will not be defeated. What are you worried about? I love the story of Dr. John Rice. He was out one day preaching in a conference. He walked out on the sidewalk, and a guy walked up to him and stuck a gun in his belly and said, I want your wallet or I'm going to take your life. I'm going to blow your brains out. Had it stuck right in his stomach. Dr. Rice, great man of God, he said, well, son, my, my brains aren't down in my belly. And the guy looked at him. Dr. Rice said, put that thing away. He said, if you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, no, sir. He said, let me show you something. Reached in his pocket, opened up his Bible, and won the man to Jesus. He said, now give me that gun, you're going to hurt somebody. Now, I'm not sure I'd have done that. He's a more spiritual man than I. That was a different generation. I get that. But may I say something? Uh, that takes some guts. And facing battles make you strong. Just because you went to the gym and sat on the couch and ate three pounds of chocolate doesn't mean you got stronger. Well, preacher, I, I, I went to the gym. Going to the gym is a step. But if you did nothing while you're at the gym, you didn't do anything. I used to know a preacher who had a boat. And he named the boat Visitation. He'd tell his, his secretary, tell everybody I'm, I'm going out on visitation. His boat name was Visitation. <laughs> I'm talking about that mess. You see, you may not be delivered from the battle, but face the battle. Amen. Facing the battle makes you stronger. Amen. It is not the absence of, of opposition that makes you strong. It is the presence of it and getting through it. Amen. Number three, learn to praise God before the battle. Amen. Oh, we're real good after the battle. Look what God did. Look what God did. How about before you get to the battle, look what God's going to do. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm just too afraid. I'm not sure I can do this. Oh, God bless you. Come here and let me burp you. Most people only praise God after the battle, not before. What a crime. You know, if we'd learn to praise God before the battle starts, maybe it'd be a little, be a little easier in the battle. You see, you're focused on the battle, not focused on God. One thing I've learned, Brother James, I've learned to look past the problem and look to the God who can solve the problem. Some of you are so focused on that problem, this is all you see, and you don't look up to see the God who can deliver you from that problem. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off the battle and look at the God who can help you get through that. Quit focusing on the battle itself. Was it not Dr. Lester Roloff? who had a sign in his office that says, praise God, and when you can't praise God, praise God anyway. <laughs> what a wonderful way to live. You know, more battles are lost due to no praise than probably any other thing. I meet sourpuss Christians all the time. Well, I went to church and somebody said something, made me mad, and I'm not ever going back. Oh, somebody forced me to go to church. Well, they forced you to learn how to go to the bathroom. Do you get mad at them for that? They forced you to put clothes on. Do you get well? Not anymore. But uh, they 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 forced you to eat. Does that mean that you hate food for the rest of your life? That is the stupidest answer somebody has ever given me. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> oh, it's just so hard to be a Christian preacher. Have you seen what's out there? Yeah. If I say something, I might offend them. Good! At least you know they're listening. What are they going to do? Hit you with their purse? Good grief. Folks, 
when they don't know what bathroom to use, they don't intimidate me. My daddy taught me a long time ago which one to use. <laughs> and by the way, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Two bulls don't make a cow. When animals have more sense than people, we got problems. What are you doing intimidated by that? Are we doing all right? Somebody say amen. <laughs> Was it not George Patton that used to say, don't die for your country, make your enemy die for his? Grab him by the nose and kick him in the pants. That's what he used to say. Say, well, I, I just, I, I, we got to get out of this victim mentality. Amen. Folks, you're not a victim unless you choose to be. Amen. You're looking at somebody who's not a victim. Amen. Somebody, my father-in-law was having a stress test not long ago. I said, well, they never asked me to take a stress test. I said, I don't take a test. I give it. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I handle stress fine. I don't, I don't, I'm not stressed. I give it. I don't take it. Good grief. Number four, enemies often self-destruct. Listen to an older man, shut up, for a little while. I've been through enough battles. I've learned that oftentimes my enemy will self-destruct. <laughs> I was... I was sitting in a meeting with Brother Hiles one day. There's a couple preachers that got a little bit rowdy across the country, and they were fussing with some other preachers. And they buddied up to fight against a couple friends of mine. Brother Hiles put his arm around me, and he said, Son, let me teach you something. I've been at this a long while. He said, You just give it a few years. He said, That one would slice his own mother's throat, and that one would write articles about it. He said, you just give it a few years. They'll shoot each other. They'll kill themselves. Don't worry. He said, your enemies like that will destroy. They run out of enemies, so they start shooting at their friends. He said, you just give it a few years. By the way, after Brother Hiles died, he was right. Both of them. I learned something. You just let your enemies run their mouth long enough, they'll self-destruct. You see, give them enough rope to hang themselves. God will turn their ways upon them like he did the Ammonites and the Moabites and watched them kill each other instead of the enemy. You know, you don't have to counterattack your enemy. I tell people all the time, quit acting like your enemy against your enemy. Don't come down to where your enemy is. Well, you don't know what they said. Well, I can hear how you're saying it right now. But preacher, you don't... Yeah, I do. Don't be as guilty as your enemy. Step above it. Step around it. Don't step in it. Let God decide when the attack is needed. Don't bring it on your timetable. By the way, often after your enemy self-destructs, they'll call for help. They do. And a man texted me this morning, hated my internal organs for many years. I mean hated me. I, I wouldn't even begin to tell you some of the things. few years ago contracted cancer texted me and asked me if I'd pray for him once I found out who it was I said I'd be glad to for several years now I have prayed every day and texted that man every day for several years I got a text from him about 515 this morning it said brother thank you for praying for me every day asking God to give you and your church a great service today I love you. That's a man who hated me. He's not going to walk through these doors probably ever. That's okay. He's not my enemy anymore. I was never his. 
Everybody doing okay? Number five. When you do things God's way, the spoils will be more than you can handle. Can I tell you something? When you do things God's way, God doesn't always pay on Friday, but God always pays. You may not be able to handle all the blessings God will give you. I, we were at the rehearsal on Friday afternoon, evening. I sat down beside my wife and there was a preacher right next to me. He said, brother, didn't we go to college together? I said, yes, sir. I didn't even remember his name. He said, boy, you look different. I said, well, you don't look like a spring chicken either. I said, and there's a lot more of you. He said, okay, now. <laughs> he said, you haven't changed. I said, well, you have. I said, you knew me. Now, wait a minute. We, we, we jostled around a little bit, having fun. You know, that man walked up to me and said some things, some heartaches he'd been through. He's heard of our church. I don't know how. He said, you haven't changed since college. I said, and I've come too far to turn back now. Amen. You know, you pick a few coupons like that in life. You really do. God will give you spoils you can't imagine. God may allow you to turn your enemy into a productive friend. He may. God will make you work to get it. You might have to sift through the dead bodies and the stink and the nastiness of death. But may I tell you something, there are spoils and riches untold as you get through the battles. Some of you ought to be thankful that I've sat beside dying loved ones. Because when I sit beside you, I'll be able to help you. I've preached funerals for an awful lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of funerals. The day I had to preach my own mother's funeral three years ago right here, I was thankful I was thankful I gave the same attention to my mom's funeral I've given to everybody else's family members in this room. Same amount of time. Can I tell you something? It makes a difference when you go through all those battles and you've got to help somebody else come through the battle. But you're going to have to sift through it. Number six, and I'm done. Peace and rest only come after the battle. Peace and rest come after the battle. You don't rest up for a battle, you condition. And when I say peace, I don't mean tranquility. Peace is a result of war. Peace, may I say it in our vernacular, peace is because you whip the snot out of somebody. Amen. Not because everything's going fine. You see, peace is a result of battle, not the absence of battle. You don't sign a tranquility agreement after a war. You sign a peace agreement. Somebody surrenders. You drop two bombs on them and knock out hundreds of thousands of people and Japan raises the white flag and says, okay, we're done. Yeah, because we've got three more we're going to drop on Tokyo and it's going to be gone. Everybody doing okay? It wasn't the absence of battle, it was the presence of battle that brought peace. Some of you run away from the battle and you have no peace. Book of Jeremiah says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Can I say there's no peace because everybody's running away from the battle? you got to win the battle to get to the peace on the other side. 
Real peace will only come, though, when you do it his way. Turmoil is caused by you doing it your way and not God's way. Did you ever open your mouth and say, I shouldn't ought to have said that? Or got into something and said, I shouldn't be here doing this right now? That's turmoil. That's because you did it your way, not God's way. You know, I've never been in a situation where God put me in that I ever felt that way. Not one time. There's been a few times I've wondered why God put me there. Mm-hmm. I was preaching on in the rescue mission downtown L.A., 5th Street, L.A. I got done preaching. There's about 300 in the mission. Got done preaching. Brother Joe Hill walked up to me. Great big giant old fella. Remind you of Joe Boyd. He said, Brother Craig, they're, they're out. I preached a whole sermon on be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. I said, some of you are so deceived by the devil. You're living in a cardboard box buying your drugs and your booze from somebody driving a $75,000 Mercedes Benz. And the devil's got you. I mean, I was waxing eloquent. I was hammering away. We had 25, 30 people saved that night. It was great. Brother Joe walked up and he said, uh, Brother Craig, did you drive the van tonight? I said, yes, sir. He said, can somebody else drive it? I said, yes, sir. Why? He said, because everybody outside is upset with you. I said, what do you mean everybody outside? He said, I didn't tell you. He said, tell me what? He said, follow me. We go up to the top of the fourth floor. That man put three six-foot-high speakers on top of that building, and every word I said was going down the streets of L.A. About two blocks down, they had a car turned upside down, and the cops were there. So the people had, I, I hope to God it was a drug dealer or some innocent sucker died and went to hell. I mean, it, they had the car turned upside down. They had, they, oh, man, it was ugly. We had three police cars escort our church van out of town. I'm not kidding. Now, I had fun preaching that night. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why God did that, but I know this. Uh, they never saw my face, and I was getting out of Dodge fast. Next time I showed up, I said, Brother Joe, he said, I turned the speakers off. Go ahead. <laughs> no problem. Here we go. You see, uh, <laughs> the strength to overcome the opposition is what brings the peace, not compromise. Compromise never brings peace. Overcoming the evil brings peace. George Washington met an Indian man many years after the Revolutionary War. In the slaughter of Braddock, Washington was a general and he was in the battle as well. He met this Indian and this Indian relayed this story to him. He said, I personally leveled a gun and fired at General Washington 12 times. He said, I've never missed. He said, but all 12 of the bullets I fired at General Washington missed. They had no effect on him. The Indian said, the great spirit must be protecting him. And I decided to quit wasting my ammo on him. Twelve times he leveled his gun at General Washington and twelve times God deflected the bullets. May I say something? General Washington didn't run. He kept battling. How about we do this? Let's decide to face the battle together. Let's face the battle and not run away from it. And let's do it God's way, not our way. And let's quit complaining about the cleanup. Maybe there's spoils and all that cleaning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done.